This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 191. We're recording on Thursday, January 5th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you. We're in 2017, uh, which portends to be an interesting year, uh, to speak completely and totally and uh, self-defensively, euphemistically <laughs> about 2020. Interesting. It covers a multitude of possible sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched Love and Friendship last night, which is the, based on the Jane Austen novel, so I'm speaking in these really Baroque, elaborate sentences, so you have to excuse me <laughs> well, for that. We'll have a nice balance, because since off-air just now, we were talking about how much I swear in like every possible situation. Yeah. Well, we have we have you know we have sponsors this week as we always do, and we have sweary sponsors. I guess we can go into the first one. So this is the subtle art of not giving a f- by uh, oh crap. Mark Manson. Mark Manson. Yes, I was, oh, I was I was so worried about swearing that I my <laughs> I, I, my brain flipped because we we're talking about we flip a switch for the show and I had to flip it back on and now it's back off by superstar blogger Mac, Mark Manson M A N S O N. And he, so he cuts through the crap to show us how to stop, stop trying to be, quote-unquote, positive all the time so we can help happier, better people. It has academic research, entertaining stories, and this sort of ruthless, profane humor, as you might expect from the title. He argues that improving our lives hinges not on our ability to turn lemons into lemonade, but just being able to, like, eat lemons, right? Don't put sugar on it. Just eat the, eat the rind and everything. So the subtle art of not giving a f- is a much-needed, refreshing slap in the face that will lead to more contented grounded lives. So screw positivity, <laughs> deal with it on its own terms. So go check it out. It's available now wherever, wherever books are sold. Um, and you can go, yeah, there's a Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. You might check out um, Mark Manson's Twitter feed to get a sense of his personality uh, if you're interested in that. So thanks to them for sponsoring the show. I have a feeling that 2017 will – this is an undercurrent of many of our thinkings about 2017. Yes. Uh, that uh, the um, – yeah, maybe a little less guarded, a little more forthright is not uh-huh. a bad idea. Yeah, we were, we were talking just before we started the show about this sort of convergence of these very sweary self-help books and also the yes. rise in mindfulness titles for this year. And I hadn't considered it until you were just reading those show notes just now. But I think they make sense together, especially mm-hmm. this one, because uh, one of the chief principles of mindfulness is acceptance, is accepting where things are. Like, you're not trying to force a new situation. You're not trying to polish the turd. You're just like, mm-hmm. this is a turd. What right. can I do with it? <laughs> Or, you know, Cheryl Strayed puts it as acceptance is a small, quiet room, which is nice. Mm. But I think that's, you know, that's where this is going. We could probably all use a dose of this, like maybe prior to, I don't know, January. Yeah, just some random date. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Just sometime in mid-January might be and thereafter and before. (laughs) Like every day. We all just read this whole book every morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every day. All right. So thanks for them sponsoring the show. We'll have another sweary book for you coming up later. That's what we call a teaser. Stay tuned. Business. 
Uh, and I think I just made that up. Um, so some book news this week. We're getting back into the flow. People are getting back from vacations and holidays and everything else like that. So a lot of this is kind of wrap, looking backward, looking forward. But the biggest piece of news this week, it relates to what we talked about in our last show, which is sort of predictions and wishes for 2017. And one of our big questions is, what's Amazon going to do with its physical bookstores? Um, are they satisfied with this as an experiment? How many more of these are we going to see? Um, and with this this move today, they're kind of moving the queen to the center of the board. Uh, Amazon is opening a physical bookstore in New York City in 2017. Uh, long wondered if they would make uh, a move into both the both the psychological and business capital of American book publishing, um, if not world book publishing. I don't know, maybe London or Frankfurt uh, for the world. But at the very least, here in the good old U.S. of A., New York and publishing have been. Synonymous uh, with each other, and there's a lot of great bookstores in New York City, um, but they're going to put one right in the middle of Manhattan at 59th and Columbus Circle, um, 59th Street and Broadway, excuse me, at, at Columbus Circle in that huge Time Warner building. For those of you who know New York, um, I'm not surprised they're doing this. And if you would have asked me if, if you would have told me like to make a real estate deal, where would I have put it? I think I would have put it right here for a couple mm. reasons. <clears throat> one is there. It's a it's a huge shopping center at the at the first few floors of the Time Warner Center. So there's a lot of people coming in out all the time. It's also a pretty big tourist destination. Like it's not a thing that a lot of like locals go to. And I think maybe New Yorkers on the whole will be sort of hostile to the idea, especially book buyers of an Amazon bookstore. But here you get people from all over the country that's coming, so they can kind of see it, right? Like. Mm-hmm. They can get warmed up to the Amazon bookstore. It's also this location um, used to have a Borders. I don't know if it's the same space. I kind of doubt it is. But Time Warner Center used to have a Borders, but when Borders went kaput, it went gone. It went away. And there's not a really, you know, there's not a bookstore close. There's not a big bookstore close. There's a Barnes & Noble up uh, at 82nd Street. And I know it's going to sound absurd that's just a mile and a half away. But in Manhattan terms, for a bookstore, that's a long way. Like, it's yeah. a different location. And the closest Barnes & Noble to the south uh, now that they're closer, is way over on the other side of Manhattan in the 40s or Union Square at 14th Street. And there's not even like independent bookstores or, or major ones between this and really the Strand down at 14th Street. So this is a long way of saying there's room on the New York map for a bookstore right here. That's not, it's not really competing with anything directly, honestly, um, uh, right here. So it makes sense from both the Manhattan geography of New York, but also the Time Warner Center's location in sort of the, the the pulse of the city, which is a lot of tourists, a lot of visitors from out of town. It's not really a local spot. So it makes a lot of sense to me um, that they would do it here. So that's a lot of me talking. <laughs> what do you think about this? Uh, what, what do you, th- I mean, are you surprised? No, I mean, I mean, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. They're going into major cities, Seattle, Portland, San Diego. And every time that we talk about like the cities that have the most bookstores per capita or, you know, like the top cities for book lovers in America, we always are sort of reminding each other and our listeners that New York is rarely on those because for as literary and book minded as we think of New York as being as the home of publishing, there aren't that many bookstores per capita there Mm -hmm. really. So there is room, especially as you're saying, since this is a location that previously had a borders. Um, I think I had not considered the, uh, appeal to locals versus appeal to tourists angle, but that seems right to me um, that you're going to capture people who are in town who are at a big tourist attraction seeing Columbus Circle and, um, and you know, might hop into Amazon books. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if New York will really be as hostile to the idea 
of it, um, because given well, that's all the whole thing from You've Got Mail, right? There's protests and everything of Fox Books, and then it opens, and there's you know people drinking coffee and buying books. Right, like, that's kind of the like, story. Yeah. New York seemed was one of sort of the front lines of like same day Prime delivery, right? Like mm-hmm. when you magically didn't have to leave your apartment when you needed diapers for this afternoon, and uh, it's so it's interesting. The whole like I'm still so puzzled by what Amazon's strategy is with these bookstores. Why do this in the first place, mm. especially if they really are planning. 300 of them like it was leaked on that conference call last year mm-hmm. um, that piece remains a mystery to me um and i i just wonder like do you already have new yorkers indoctrinated into like i need this book and i can order it same day prime um are they hoping to get the browsers in and that does i think yeah. feed back into that it's a location that doesn't have bookstores nearby and that it's very touristy um Mm -hmm. so i mean sure get your amazon bestseller if you're wandering around or maybe they'll put a coffee shop in it or whatever like i'm not surprised i feel pretty neutral about this Mm -hmm. from what i've seen like uh, there's one in portland now and i haven't even gotten up the mojo to like drive over there and see it that's how i'm I'm not even. I'm not even really interested in going to it. Just only the meta stuff interests mm-hmm. me at all. Like the, I, I don't care. I mean, it's a bookstore. You know, I like bookstores. Yeah. But it's rare that you go to a bookstore and you're like, wow, this is a radically different bookstore than anyone I've ever seen. Like, I'm lucky I have pals right here, and I had the Strand in New York, and like, you know, books, especially since we live online. Like, I was telling uh, my mom who's in town, we went to Pals and banged around for a while. I was like, you know, the internet is my bookstore. Mm-hmm. In terms of finding out about stuff, I can go buy it wherever. But in terms of there's there's no selection like the internet for finding out about books and browsing books. So, in a way, a physical bookstore is kind of a nice to have for me, uh, much more than the need to have. I need you know when I was eighteen to twenty six years old, and I didn't know the the bookish internet like I do now. Um, it's my job, but also my interest. And in when I you know I would follow it as a fan anyway if I didn't do it for a job. So I, I just am not sure. Um, you know, it's it's almost like, yeah. I guess neutral is a good way of putting it. Um, a physical bookstore, I guess, is it makes sense, but it doesn't feel like a leading edge Amazon thing to do. It's like backfill, right? Like yeah, there's a back for backfilling our business plan. We talked about this. It, I mean, yeah, we're just it just confused. makes it so puzzling since Amazon is sort of perpetually trying to move forward and find yeah. something they can disrupt. Um, it it doesn't make much sense to me. I think we talked when I was out there in Portland this summer that we mm-hmm. share that. Well, this is a bookstore feeling. Yes, and I'm lucky to have local booksellers in Richmond that do know me and will recommend stuff that's a great fit for me that I wouldn't have heard of otherwise. But I feel the same way that like my Twitter feed is my book recommender, you know, and the like book Mm -hmm. contributors are my book recommender. Like yesterday I called up a friend who reads the specific poet I was interested in reading. And he's a friend I know from the internet. And Mm -hmm. we all like you and I have, you know, sort of the juiced up versions of this because of the jobs that we do. But I would guess Mm -hmm. that most people listening to the show are plugged into the bookish internet to some degree and are getting their recommendations from lots of places that aren't wandering into the bookstore and seeing what they find, which maybe is an indication that what Amazon is going for in this store or this whole set of stores is not the diehard reader like we are, not even the casual, mm-hmm. quote unquote, casual reader who reads a book a month, but the person who wants to wander into a bookstore. Like they, I don't think they're looking necessarily for repeat customers here. Um, if you can no. get 
you know, a certain percentage of the new people who walk by each day to come in and buy something, you're still doing okay. But mm-hmm. I still don't understand why. Like, this is the give Jeff Bezos truth serum. And this isn't the first question I'm asking him, but it's on the no. list. Like, what do you do? Well, for our space, if, if we're keeping it to books, it might be the first on my list. Like, what else is Amazon doing that I'm super interested right That's now? That's true. I mean, Amazon is Amazon. Like, I guess Kindle Unlimited and... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't know. Like in the book space, I think I've said this before that the innovation on Amazon side from the book space for a while has been a little, you know, they tried that Kindle World stuff where you could like make licensed, was it Nancy Drew or Buffy Vampire Story books? That went zero. I mean, that mm-hmm. went absolutely nowhere. And since then, it's like, I don't know. Um, but it does seem like a maturing business move for Amazon and in, in books to like, okay, now the last piece is to set up camp. Um, in these actual locations. One bit of follow-up related to Amazon, by the way, uh, <clears throat> related to Jeff Rance, one of one of the fall <laughs> 2016 Jeff Rance about the sort of the the difference between, or lack of difference between paperback and Kindle book pricing. The yeah. other day, I think since the new year, I've noticed it's kind of gone away. Maybe like they the finally price, listened. The prices for paperbacks have, have, have gone up a buck or two, as far as I can tell. Because I think one of the examples I used was Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. I was looking at it the other day, and I noticed that the the paperback is now a dollar or two more expensive than the Kindle version. Um, and it looks like the Kindle version has stayed the same. And I, I should have written some of this stuff down and tracked it over time. But there's no longer a in you know they were no longer underwater on your paperback purchase uh, <laughs> versus a Kindle. Now you do get a little bit of a break to buy the Kindle version. It's not what it should be, I should say, but it looks like. Um, that there's a little bit more of a spread there. So I don't know. And, and it looks like it's a cross book. So I don't know if Amazon... The thing that I suspect was happening is that Amazon was really taking losses on paperbacks to make the value proposition of Kindle pricing look bad for whatever reason. I don't know why. But it looked like an Amazon side move to me just because it, it seemed to be across more than just a couple publishers. But that was interesting. Another thing I noticed, you'll like this... Um, one of the books that's sponsoring the sh- the the site this week, The Hundred Lives of Lizzie Levette. I was looking at it the other day. They didn't pay for this spot, I should say, but they did do some advertising with us. But I was looking at their pricing, and it's a young adult title. And as we, a lot of you who may not buy young adult may not know that a new hardcover for young adults what seventeen ninety nine typically mm-hmm. is that right, Rebecca? Yeah, that's right. Um, and then the ebook was seven ninety nine, and this is something that came out this week. Yep. And I was looking at some YA, and that seems a little. That seems to be par for the course for YA right now. And that feels more like we were talking about the other mm-hmm, day. So this is right. follow up on some other things we were doing. But I thought that was interesting. It is. Want to hear a little seasonal wrap up? Yes, let's do seasonal wrap up. As we go. So I don't think we talked about it through the holiday season. And maybe no, we didn't. I, I'm not sure that I actually even saw sales reports through the holiday season. No. Um, but the holiday season started slow for books, which is a thing that we noticed anecdotally in the sites uh, in Book Riot's Amazon affiliate sales mm-hmm. was like right after Thanksgiving, it was things were a little bit slower than we expected them to be. So the sales of print books were down almost 6% between Thanksgiving week and the week ending December 18th. So like the vast majority of the holiday retail season, (laughs) the sale Mm -hmm. of print books were down 6% uh, compared to the 2015 numbers. However, they jumped 21% in that last week leading up to Christmas. Yeah, this is according to BookScan and it is just print books. Um, This is just print, yeah. Yeah, the biggest gains were in juvenile fiction and adult nonfiction. So gifts for kids and really like the dad books, like uh, Mm -hmm. the the Bill O'Reilly book, um, 
or some of his books. J.K. Rowling, of course, led uh, led the pack. But this puts the season overall at a 3% increase in print book mm-hmm. sales over last year. Just happened very late. So people, the, yeah, you know, late sort of break. a last-minute bounce there. I wonder if because Christmas was on a Sunday, you got that full week plus a Saturday to shop. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I think I was, Michelle and I were talking about it and about seeing people out and about, because we were out, you know, with the kids the weekend after Thanksgiving, and it didn't seem that busy. And we were talking about it, and it's like, you know, I wonder from a retailer's point of view, what's the perfect day for Christmas to fall on? And you would think it'd be Sunday, right? Because right, you can have yeah. people shopping all the way up to the day before, and you got a full week. So I wonder if people just knew they had that whole week leading up to Christmas, and they didn't, you know, they didn't feel the impar- the need to go out on Black Friday and that yeah, stuff. We know, also talked about you and I, I think, sort of the 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 weakening of Black Friday as a thing. Was that you? Mm-hmm. Did we talk yeah, about it this? Was us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so I don't know what's going on there. Maybe as more people going online. You know, and Amazon has done this too. You do 30 days of deals and some of the other vendors online that's like, it's not just Black Friday, but it's the week before and the week after and blah, blah, blah. So like, it does feel like maybe we're going back to an older pattern um, from when I was a kid. Because Black Friday, this thing is where it's a big deal where people get stomped to death and stuff. Like that's in our lifetime uh, as a development. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, it used and Cyber to be Monday is certainly. Cyber Monday, yeah, but yeah. now you might as well have Cyber Monday on Black Friday because all the Black Friday sales right. start online as well, mm-hmm. too. Like, I think that, uh, yeah, that we were talking about this. Like, Black Friday is pretty meaningless now because the jig is up that everybody knows there are going to be sales all right. season long. And right. so you might not get the deep discount they're offering on Black Friday, but you might also, if you buy on Black Friday, miss an even deeper discount that's coming up mm-hmm. and people are waiting. I think you're onto something there with this being about going out into the stores and having time to shop because these numbers are from Nielsen BookScan. So they don't include Amazon. These yeah. don't include print sales from online retailers. We're talking about like folks walking into brick and mortar bookstores, walking into Powell's or walking into the fountain here in Richmond and um, from the stores that report to BookScan. So that to me, that makes sense that you did have that full week. It's interesting to have seen such a dip, but I wonder if we're just there in the life of sort of internet retail where like the difference between Black Friday and Cyber Monday is meaningless, but also just the existence of them is meaningless. Like there's just going to be sales the whole time. Yeah, Everyone knows yeah. it. So go do your thing. Yeah. I am glad to see that the store sales were up though on the mm-hmm. whole. I'm sure they were I mean, it's a huge deal for bookstores. Oh, yeah. Um, if you make it to I mean, they must have been frightening. you're down over last year by yeah. 6%, you've got to be worried. you got to be worried. So it sounds like it was busy. From what I saw at Powell's the week before Christmas, it, was, it, it certainly seemed a lot busier than even the two weeks before and the whole week prior. Um, as we said, the site, we, we link book titles to Amazon. We get affiliate revenue. And it's a, it's a major way of, of uh, funding the site. Like, we do pretty well with that. But we do also see the patterns in people's buying. And some of it has to do with our traffic and how many people are on the site and blah, blah, blah. But we had seen over the last few years that, you know, that Thanksgiving weekend, you get a real bounce and then things kind of even out. But this was – there was definitely a bounce. But really, st- from December 20th all the way through – January 2nd, it was up. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of shopping after the holiday this year, too, which Gift I thought cards, was interesting. Man. Gift cards and, you know, buying what you didn't get and you have time mm-hmm. off. And anyway, really interesting to, to see the ebb and flow um, of, of it there. So sales of print books, yeah, rose about 3% over the same. There was another stat here I was going to say. Um, the, the rolling book sold over 300,000 copies in, in the week, and that's just print. That is crazy. That's a train um, you want to be on. 
And this Magnolia story that we talked about the other day, which we were surprised to see, that book is still selling. Uh, 96,000 copies in a week. Um, Springsteen's Born to Run sold 72,000 copies. Um, I saw a lot of people um, in, at Powell's and talking about that Atlas Obscura book. I wonder how mm-hmm. it did. Um, oh, a really yeah, good holiday like the gift. Table book of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atlas Obscura, if you guys don't know, it's a really interesting website. Um, it's a kind of a travelish website, I guess, but what they do is they highlight interesting, underknown, overlooked places around the world and highlight them. And the, this is their first book. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big kind of compendium of interesting places from around the world, beautiful photography and interesting anecdotes. Um, I followed them. They started around the same time that Book Riot did. So it's kind of see your uh, cohort grow up and um, congratulations to those guys. But it's a good book for people who like traveling or it's a beautiful coffee table book. This is what we call a recommendation for Christmas. It happens three weeks after that no one has anything to do with now. But, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, there's always reason to buy books for people. So uh, I'm not going to get too worried about that. Okay, what else are we doing here? Should we do another sponsor? Yeah, let's do another sponsor. sponsor. So this one is Purgatory Road. It's a book and it's by Samuel Parker. It's his debut novel and it's kind of a thriller so here's here's what's going on with it so this guy uh is out his name is jack and he's taking a day trip from las vegas with his wife and it takes the turn for worse and he thinks he can get them home but something else happens uh it becomes sort of a dark psychological thriller um, and he has to play by somebody else's rules. And it's, you know, it's one of these suspense writers that you feel the tragedy of like impending doom and has a really original idea. Um, you know, this is one of those books that can stay with you a long time after you read it. It's a debut novel and you can get it now. You go to samuelparkerbooks.com, S-A-M-U-E-L. I guess I don't know how to spell Samuel. That's why I was spelling that out loud. I wouldn't know how to spell Samuel on my own. Samuelparkerbooks.com. The book is called Purgatory Road. If you like thrillers, um, you like sort of on the road, something twisty happens, I think you're going to like this book. So Purgatory Road by Samuel Parker. Out now, paperback, ebook. And audio. Thanks too much for Purgatory Road for sponsoring the show. If you're looking for a road trip thriller, suspense novel, well, that's that's the one for you. All right, where else are we going to go? More well, have hmm. you looked at these New York Public Library most popular checkouts? No, yes. I haven't. I I kind of saw that. Um, <laughs> did you link to it in this weekend book? I did. Yeah. So my daughter's. Um, one of her teachers in, in daycare uh, mm-hmm. reads this week in book. <laughs> oh, how funny. And she's like, and she was like, oh, did you see the, and I hadn't read it yet. It was whatever day that came out. I was like, no, I haven't. Don't tell me. <laughs> um, so I'm, uh, I'm, so, I'm going to fail. I'm I am so fail filled with glee this. right now. Yeah. Amanda and I alternate weeks writing this week in books, which if you're listening yeah. to the show and you don't know about this, this is a weekly newsletter that the site sends out that will cover some of the news that we talk about on this show and some other pieces of uh, publishing and book world related things. So you can check out uh, that newsletter if you want to subscribe. But yes, I was so excited. I'm so pleased, Jeff. that you have not seen this list. So the New York Public Library uh, released their 2016, basically circulation numbers. There were 25 million items circulated in the library system last year. And these are the 10 most checked out books aggregate across all of their branches. Um, I will do, would you like some clue? Would you like me to give you like some guidance? Well, let me try a couple. Let me try a couple of things here. I mean, I get, uh, how many is 10? There's 10. 
So it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to do it kind of like, uh, what's that? Family Feud style, right? Okay. You got to guess the ones on the board. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would think Girl on the Train has to be on there just because it's, the, it's sold a bunch of copies. I think that would have to be on there. That's and, correct. And if, it's it's got to be one. even number one, right? Yeah, it is number say, one. What would, You're what right. would be Girl on the Train? The thing I, and how, I guess I don't know. I mean, it's got to be pretty close to the bestseller lists of the year, right? I mean, it's not going to be a bunch of backlists. Like, it's not going to be something weird like Great Gatsby or To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that. Um, <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird uh, is number seven. Oh, great. Great, great. <laughs> okay, so I'll throw that out. But that's also, but The Killing Mockingbird is also the exception that proves the rule, right? So nothing is going to, mm-hmm. nothing from backlist is going to be above that from the last couple of years. Well, what about, I mean, I guess one would be Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Is that on the top 10? No. So people just bought that. Mm -hmm. They didn't wait to check it out. They just bought that one. Okay. What else sold this year? Is this this adult? Um, It says overall, but they are all adult titles. And because I like you, only one of them was published in 2016. Oh, well, screw that. Okay. (laughs) Boy, that's hard. Well, okay, so then my working but, theory but is big sellers them, from... Seven ahead. of them were published in 2015. Oh, okay. Well, then that... Okay, I can do this then. Uh-huh, um, yeah, yeah, you can play this game. It's like... Between yeah. the World and Me. Yeah, that's number two. The Nightingale. Yes, that's number 10. Um, Ghost of the Watchmen. Yep, that one is number four. I'm not doing too bad, but from You're here it okay. goes really tricky. Was there any other, any other 2016 titles? There's one besides, 2016 title, it's and not, you haven't gotten it yet. Came out well, early in 2016. It's not an Underground Railroad. It's not. It came out came early out in the year. Early in the year. Oh, uh, when Breath Becomes Air. Yep, that's number three. That that sold like a that 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 sold all year. I should have guessed that one earlier. It sold. Yeah. Way so more you've gotten the top Railroad. four. It's Girl on the Train, Between the World and Me, When Breath Becomes Air, and Ghost at a Watchman. The rest are 2015 titles. Uh, there's a 2015, a 2015, then To Kill a. So number five is a 2015. Number six is a 2015. Number seven was To Kill a Mockingbird. Number eight is older than 2015. Number nine, I think, was 2015. It might have been 2014. And then you know 10 what? was The Nightingale. Uh, might have been 2014. I was going to guess The Goldfinch because people are yep. still reading that book. That's okay. number and eight. And that's a, the only guesses I have. I don't have anything else that's even I'd even be proud <laughs> okay. to say out loud. Yeah, that's number eight. Number nine, I think you have a reasonable chance at getting. It was like the big book club book that everybody read in 2014 or 2015. Um, the big book club book that everybody read in 2014. History. History? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a historical it? fiction, sorry. Historical fiction. I don't oh, know. man. I'm so glad you're not just getting these off the bat. Oh. <laughs> It's all the light we cannot see. Oh, yeah. I never read that, so that just fell off my rev. Yeah. I, I, I don't think about that. And then five and six, I think you have no shot at just guessing in the dark, so uh-huh. I'm just going to tell you. Okay, yeah. Five was Mindy Kaling's Why Not Me. Oh, really? Good for uh-huh. her. I'm, uh, great. I'm, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised, but I am surprised, if that makes any kind of yeah, sense. Yeah, no, like, yes. I'm Okay, that is a too. book that a people a lot of read, but I wouldn't expect it to make this kind of list. Yeah, really. and six was Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. Wow, really? Uh-huh. Interesting. Isn't huh. it? Those so, two, so the list is, uh, I guess the, I can click it open now. Yeah, um, the list is Girl on the Train, Between, between the, world the World and Me, and the, when, when Breath Becomes, becomes Air, Ghost at a Watchman. Why Not Me, Modern Romance, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Goldfinch, All the Light We Cannot See, and The Nightingale. 
So I guess the ones I'm surprised. I mean, I was thinking about the what was the Fifty Shades from the other. What was that one called again? That oh, came out gray. the same. The one that gray. I was thinking about flip. that, but people buy that for an ebook. I don't think they check it out from the library. That was the only other one I was wondering about. Um, really, I was thinking the Nest. You know mm-hmm. that because that was like the big literary fiction title of the year, uh-huh. but. But you said only one 2016. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting that there's so many holdovers for last year. I wonder if that's true of most years in libraries. Like, the peop- the thing people are checking out the most is kind of there's like a – there's a lag, right, yeah, between one was, year and the next that kind of makes yeah. a degree of sense to me. That was the thing I noted um, on the This Week in Books newsletter was this is kind of an interesting measure about what people are actually reading or at least yeah. if we assume that they read the things they check out versus yeah. what's being bought right now. And I think there's a little analysis to be done there too, of that when a book has a whole year to accrue Mm -hmm. checkouts, it can accrue more checkouts. And uh, that doesn't count how, like, if you assume that reading speed is average for all of them, then it makes sense that when Breath Becomes Air, which came out in January of this, of 2016, was the like one new release, because it had, it had just tons of momentum starting and it had basically the whole year to accrue Mm -hmm. checkouts. But like Underground Railroad just came out in September and I assume the library system had limited copies of yeah. it and they've got people in line. So I would bet we'll see Underground Railroad and The Nest and maybe right. like Rich and Pretty on this list next year. But it's interesting. The, the Why Not Me and Modern Romance are the pieces here that are really interesting mm-hmm. to me. I wouldn't have expected those to be in positions five and six. And I do no. wonder if like, you know, Go Set a Watchman was, was 2015. And so we got that holdover for its checkouts in 2016. And I wonder if To Kill a Mockingbird got a bump here or if it's typically that popular. Uh, what do you do? You have a theory? Hmm. <laughs> I don't I don't have a theory. I don't have a theory. Um. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess that makes sense. I mean, I don't know why. Why not me and uh, the modern romance? You know, I mean, they're both interesting books. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe a lot of younger people using the New York Library than I would think. You know, I'm sort of mm-hmm. thinking book club kind of books, where those don't really feel like book club kind yeah. of books to me. Um, so anyway, uh, there's that. Anyway, it's an interesting list. Yeah, and it's it is. also and- when Breath Becomes Air is number three. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's an interesting one too. Um, I guess the sellers, you know, I'm surprised, you know, there's always a Stephen King book that comes out that sells a bunch. That's not on here. Like none of the big, like, huge sellers, like the Grishams or the Mm -hmm. Pattersons, Baldacci's, things like that, which I don't know. I wonder why that is either. Yeah. And, you know, they break it out. If you keep scrolling, they break it out by borough. And James Patterson was number one in the Bronx, a book Uh called NYPD Red 4 which is a James uh-huh. Patterson book I hadn't heard of. So you can break it out by borough um, if you want to check this out. The link will be in the show notes. Um, Between the World and Me was number one in Manhattan. Uh, the NYPD Red 4 was the number one in Staten Island. So interesting I'm sorry, what, oh, NYPD Red 4. Yeah, oh, that's the, the Patterson, Patterson you're talking about. Yeah, right. he was the biggest in the Bronx and Staten Island. It's interesting to see how those 
breakout. Uh-huh. Um, and for our listeners, if you're familiar with these titles that were in the top 10 checkouts, the good folks at the NYPL have recommended read-alikes for all of them. So yeah. like, if you read The Girl on the Train, they've got three works of psychological suspense that they suggest you check out. If you read Between the World and Me, they've got three more books mm-hmm. on society and culture that you can look at. So if you're building your TBRs, or I don't know, if you're participating in the Read Harder Challenge Maybe, this yes, year, There's some choices here. Yeah, there's, good yeah, there's some you. really good starting points here. That's a good list, uh, really. And you can really drill down. You can see the checkout by branch, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting, too. Um, I th- think this is funny that um, the the life-changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo made the Manhattan list, which makes sense. I mean, of all the <laughs> places does. in the U.S. where a little, uh, a little extra s- incentive to tidy and tuck Yeah, your and, space uh, is really at a premium. Uh, I wonder sense. how so, that anyway. sells in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, that makes sense. All right, what else we got on the agenda here? I'm clicking back to our agenda. Oh, mega best-selling authors. Oh, and then the rant thing. Hmm. <sighs> it's going to be like a rant that's kind of not a rant, but is a rant. Let's do but... that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. And I'm gonna. We're gonna put a link. Here's what we're gonna do. We we kind of pregame this a little bit. Where we're gonna put a link in the show notes if you want to see the publisher and the author and the book and what's going on. I don't even want to say this dude's name. I don't even say the publisher's name. Nope. Uh, long story short is that a big five publisher gave a pretty big advance to an online personality troll bad person. That mo- I mean, I think most of us would agree is a pretty bad guy. Bad enough yes. that Twitter banned him. And you got to yeah. be pretty bad you for Twitter to ban so you. You got to be so bad for Twitter to ban you. Um, and this big five publisher gave this dude a $250,000 advance for a book that's supposed to be about free speech. And I don't know. It's it's disheartening. Um, of course, there you're going to see books by people that don't share your same political beliefs. I think that's fine. Like when we talked about the Megyn Kelly book getting an eleven million dollar advance, I don't think we talked about that from a she shouldn't get a book deal sort of situation. Yeah. Even though, no, from my like, point of view, she says some bad stuff that's really hurtful to people, but didn't right. seem to cross the line to me of giving someone not only a huge platform. But the tacit, or not even tacit, but the explicit sort of endorsement of a a big five public. Yeah, you know, like a lot of political figures with whom we disagree and who we mutually would say spout negative and harmful ideas get book deals. Like, And all the publishers publish someone that we would consider objectionable um so this is like it's not unique but the whole the the whole setup and timing of this like this guy is not just a troll himself but sort of leads and emboldens an army of them and Mm -hmm. that's if you have ever experienced like i do not recommend ever tweeting anything about this person um you will experience terrible abuse from egg accounts on twitter um so it's like they're giving him money uh, mm-hmm. because this is what publishers do. They publish books by people that they think that they can profit from. So it's a business. This is what like one angle of this is that it's a sad reminder of sort of the dirty side of publishing that someone at this publisher believed that they could make money by giving this man a platform. But it's also very notable that this book is on a crash publication schedule, which is like, mm-hmm. that's one, that's like all the red lights are on. Um, it's not even rush. It's crash where like, they're trying to do this very quickly. Um, the timeline is very shortened. So someone decided very recently that this book deal 
should happen um, mm-hmm. and that it should go to this person who emboldens people to be abusive and to commit harassment online should get this book deal um, and that they're going to make money from it. And like, it's not surprising, like you were saying, all kinds of people get book deals like this. The There has been quite a stir. There are bookstores who are not going to be stocking any books by this publisher. Um, there are publications that are not going to cover any books by this publisher. There are sort of varying shades of boycott yeah. being uh being to an extent on. we haven't seen of late i think since we've been doing the show where yeah. a book can you remember one that I like can't. a, I, a um, book came out that really the the chorus of book people online um seems to, are, are you know people are taking various courses it, of action it is, and, and but I it's think, very very unusual to see this kind of backlash. i think some of it is who this person is yes. and how damaging his behavior has been and for how long uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and some of it is the timing and where we are in yeah. the country right now and how this feels very much like a gross attempt to profit off of the hurt that is done to people who have already been hurt so mm-hmm. much um i'll say like I have never seen bookstores respond in this way. One of the indie bookstores that I follow on Instagram was like, if you come into our store and you ask us for a title, we will write that that is published by the publisher who's giving this guy a deal. We will recommend you something else from a different wow, publisher. That's amazing. That's similar. Yeah. I've never seen that occur. Like um, a, an example off the top of my head is like lots of people have problems with Ann Coulter, but I've never seen a bookstore no. be like, no. you know, Hachette publishes Ann Coulter and we're not going to sell you any Hachette books. This is a whole level up in terribleness. The, and then the thing that makes it worse is that the publisher, like, I think when you're in kind of an indefensible position, the best thing to do is not try to defend yourself. Right. Like yeah, I they've agree. already made. They already made the decision. A group of people decided this was a good idea and they know mm-hmm. who this guy is. Like, it can't be a surprise that the response to this has been negative. Like, it, that can't be a surprise. So instead of just rolling on, like doing the thing, putting the book out, not trying to convince people that their intentions are anything other than they are, the publisher made a statement that will also drop into the show notes that begins with, we do not and never have condoned discrimination or hate speech in any form. Um, except Mm. we're publishing a book by a person who actively traffics in that. And then they do the like, we've always published a wide range of books and some of them have controversial opinions and they appeal to many different readers. And we know that some people might disagree with us, but that doesn't reflect our corporate viewpoint. Yeah. (laughs) Like you, you can't have both, you know, like publishers do exist to provide books for a variety of readers because that's smart business is to sell as many books to as many people as possible. And to do Mm -hmm. that, you have to publish a variety of things, but you can't pretend when you've got this guy with the behavior that he's known for and the reputation that he has on this particular timeline and this moment in history on a crash publication schedule, you can't pretend that what you're doing is anything other than what you're doing. And and let me say too, that, um, you know, I think you and I would agree with this. Like, if this guy wanted to self-publish his book, we wouldn't, you know, call for a law saying for whatever reason he can't self-publish his book no. or write a blog. Like, for all of, for all the people out there, it's like, well, censorship. Not to, it, that's that's not what censorship is about. Like, this is a, a big time publisher that has a lot of money and power and influence um, getting behind someone who uh, most of us would say does some pretty reprehensible things um, that are. At some level, I think may someday be illegal that the law hasn't caught up for some of the stuff he does, doxing and other stuff like mm-hmm. this. So it's not a question of censorship 
really, because you don't have a right to get a quarter of a million dollar book deal. That's that's not on the table here. But what is on the table is we talk about on the site that books are political, reading is political. And if that's the case, then also publishing has to be political. How is publishing not political if all right. of these other things is? And so what's happened is that, you know, these big these big five publishers also have scads of imprints, and some of them are more conservative leaning and do will do the Bill O'Reilly books or the Rush Limbaugh books, or you know all the things that you would expect. And this is under one of those umbrella, you know, one of those imprints that does more conservative stuff. Um, so they, tr- I don't know if they get cover or they think that they'll get cover, but where does the where does the responsibility what? go for a publisher you know, to be a, a citizen in the world? Like it can't be that they can publish anything. Uh, and and we say that well, that's publishing and that's freedom of this press and mm-hmm. freedom of speech. I don't think that's that's reasonable. On the other hand, we do want multiple multiple viewpoints, but it feels to me that this crosses some sort of line. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up like that's not what censorship is because. I've seen other publishers responding to this as well and using the word like we don't practice censorship here. And first of all, this isn't censorship, a business deciding. And second of all, they do because they don't publish everything. (laughs) Right. But in like the legal sense, no one's right. No one's First Amendment right is being violated when a publisher denies them a contract. No, (laughs) that's not happening in the Mm -hmm. same way that no one's First Amendment right is being denied. If like we at Book Riot decide not to cover their book or if a bookstore decides not to stock this guy's book he none of his rights are being violated that's not censorship that's Mm -hmm. the like right of discernment and choice that any business has about what they do like you don't have a right to get a book deal no matter who you are um and i think you know there was a lot of talk right after the election about the role that facebook played with fake news being disseminated and facebook sort of taking the same disingenuous mm. position of like well, we're, we're just not a platform a, right, we're just, we're just a, a platform thing. we're yeah. not a member of the media we're not going to weed out fake news uh it's citizens responsibility to educate themselves which with fa- with facebook is patently just a false statement because their algorithms are built on engagement and if you get people to engage in fake news more of it gets shared so you are actively feeding your users false information (laughs) and Mm -hmm. failing to inform the public and i think this is a cousin of that a publisher being like well we're just the platform we don't have any responsibility about what these people that we give platforms to say or what the consequences of their speech and ideas are. And that's irresponsible and I think untrue. And um, morally bankrupt, it it's seems morally, to me. Yeah, like, it's totally morally bankrupt. If this isn't like, the line, then where is the line? Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm going to I mean, look, it's legal. I'm not going to say it's illegal that they shouldn't have the right to do it. But I'm it's saying wrong. If, they're, if they're participating in the, the world of ideas um, and they want to have any kind of claim to participating in a larger discourse, I don't think you can publish this in good faith and say this is a good this is a this is a reasonable position for us to put yeah, the full weight and credit of our institution behind. I, I just I don't feel that's true. I think it's a reasonable guess that many of the political writers who are on this same imprint who disagree with them, though I might, are sort of like, quote unquote, legitimate, like they're, you know, politicians that have been voted into office. They are writers and thinkers, and many of them write, you know, interesting and well thought out books that just contain ideas with which I disagree or with which many people disagree. I would guess that a lot of those people don't want to share 
an imprint with this guy. Like this, th- mm-hmm. it also feels that he's different from those other writers. This isn't just as a publisher, we want to publish books for conservative readers and liberal readers. Cause what we're talking about here is not conservative politics with this man. We're talking, no, this is the ab- king of the trolls. This is the right. king of the trolls. We're, That's what we're, we're talking, talking about. Here. We're talking about the like most vile language you can imagine being directed particularly to women and people of color Mm -hmm. that he does it he encourages other people to do it he mobilizes them in that behavior there's also the doxing stuff like this isn't a conservative politician this isn't like a bible belt minister that people disagree with getting a book deal this is another shade and i do think it's over the line and if this is okay with this publisher then i have a lot of questions about yeah. who about re- and it's not it's worth noting this is also not like a 3 million dollar book deal it's not no. such a big deal that it indicates the publisher thinks it's going to be a blockbuster bestseller like somebody there just thinks this guy actually deserves a an even bigger platform. Yeah, because it's not and, like we don't know what this guy thinks. It's not like if we don't have this book, we don't know what this dude is all about. Like, it's all over the internet. Like, right. uh, or, th- th- there, is no, there is no undiscovered country of this guy's thinking. It's <laughs> not almost, they're already been <laughs> right. smeared all worth, over the internet. It is worth saying that much of what he does online, I would say, is not protected by... Yeah, Freedom that's what I'm saying. I think it will be illegal at some point, right. you know, because yeah. it's hate speech and, and it's harassment threatening and, and harassment. Things, yeah. And so it's not even necessarily that somebody at this publisher thinks this guy's opinions are worth sharing, but they're willing to give him a platform in order to make whatever profit they can. And yeah, the book it, it's had, not like, that people will sell out morality because we know people do that, but that, that they will do it for so little, I think is yeah, also striking. Yes, here. exactly that. And they're not wrong. Like within days of the announcement being made, the pre-orders for this book had bumped it into the number one spot on Amazon. So they're not wrong that the guy, the people who support this guy are willing to throw dollars at him to mm-hmm. support him by buying his book, but that they're willing to make what they don't expect to be a ton of money as indicated by the advance off of it is just gross. Yeah, it's it's and it is interesting that, you know, we because we've been talking about online uh, on the site and back channels and other places and we haven't written about it on the site because I think no one really wants to give it any more weight than it already does, but that you don't see it like this happen um, with the with someone getting a book deal. That you see it here. If you're SNS, uh, I just said the name. Sorry. If you're yeah. SNS, sorry. I think you have to pay attention. Like it has to, certainly. I don't think they could have expected. I think they should have expected some. I'm a little surprised it's this bad. Just because mm-hmm. I'm used to people I disagree with and I don't particularly like getting book deals. Um, but I'm a little surprised that it took on a life of its own. Like it had its own sort of viral. Um, taken. It's the moment, and it's the person, and it's the particular behavior, and it's the nature of um, talking about books online that people will, you know, pass it on, and it, it gets ahead of steam. Um, but certainly, it can't be worth it to them at this. I mean, I just from a dollar, I just can't. My business brain is just like it can't be worth it. Whatever you think about the guy, certainly it can't be worth it. And the morale of the company and everything else um, to to do this just seems to me such a horrible waste of energy and resources. And whatever credence you have um, with the larger literary and mm-hmm. marketplace of ideas, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, we got to do our last sponsor, and we got a little wrap up after that. Yeah, our last sponsor. This feels fitting. The last sponsor yes. this week <laughs> is Get Your Shit Together by Sarah Knight. Uh, you might remember last year she had the life changing magic of not giving a. F- And this is the follow-up. It says, ever find yourself stuck at the office or glued to the couch when you really want to get out for once, get to the gym at last, and get started on that fun project you're always putting off? Obviously, 
you need to get your shit together. Uh, in the life-changing magic of not giving a f- Sarah Knight, who, uh, full disclosure, has written for the site, uh, she calls herself an anti-guru. In that first book, she introduced readers to the joy of mental decluttering. Now in Get Your Shit Together, she'll help you take it one step further to organize the f- you want and need to give and cut through the bullshit cycle of self-sabotage to get happy and stay that way. So figuring out what you care about, what's worth your time, what's worth the f- that you have to give, and then figuring out the best possible way to deploy them, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes. um, de- the deployment of f- would be such a good show title. Yes, excellent. <laughs> um, so that's Get Your sh- Together by Sarah Knight. It's a great little book. They're like funny flow charts and jokes. She's a fun writer. I've seen a copy of this. Uh, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes and you can find it wherever books are sold. If, as most of us are, you're thinking about gathering yourself for 2017. Girding your respective loins. Um, last thing before we go, the millions, as they as they do this time of year, did their great 2017 book preview. We're not going to go into detail because some of the books we talked about before on, on our own um, Looking Ahead show, a couple I wanted to shout out that I either I didn't know about or I forgot about. One I didn't know about is that um, Elizabeth Strout has a new book coming out in, let's see, this is April, called Anything is Possible. Um, and that it's sort of a parallel that some of the characters that's mentioned in My Name is Lucy Barton, it's stories about characters that appear alongside. So it's kind of a expanded universe version of mm. uh, Lucy Barton, which also sold very well last year. So that's an interesting one, too. Um, another one that I wanted to shout out, especially is Men Without Women by Haruki Murakami, a short story collection coming in May. That's always an event uh, of a kind. There's another Richard Russo book coming out in May, Trajectory. Um, one I'm seeing get some buzz that I'm interested in is The Leavers by Lisa Ko. Um, that's coming out from Algonquin. Um, it's about, uh, let's see, uh, it, the novel is the story of Deming Gao, the story of a Chinese-American immigrant mother who one day never returns home from work. So it reminds me, it's a fictional story like the Diane Guerrero you were talking about, right, mm-hmm. where one day she comes home and they're, they're gone. So that's, that's on point two. Let me see. Uh, this is the first mention of the title for Jasmine Ward's new novel. Oh, yes. That where, is that? I, where is that? Uh, I lost track of it. Way down. It's it's beyond the first part of the year. It's called Sing Unburied Sing. Mm. And uh, it says that the Odyssey has been repeatedly invoked in early reviews of Sing Unburied Sing, which follows the protagonist on the journey from rural Mississippi to the state penitentiary and beyond. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah. Looking forward to that that. That, that, that. that's the one I hadn't seen. And then. We'd mentioned Difficult Women by Roxane Gay, but Hunger by Roxane mm-hmm. Gay is also coming out this year, which is sort of her life in food and her struggles and um, existential and ontological relationship of her body and food and um, her w- mental health. Uh, really looking forward to that. If anyone's going to put it all out there, it's going to be Roxane Gay about this. So that's that's going to be super interesting to see. So go check, but it's worth a perusal. There'll be a link in the show notes, as there are to all the other stories we talked about our sponsor. Go to podcast.com slash, excuse me, book riot dot com slash listen if you want to shoot us an email go to podcast shoot us an email at podcast at bookriot.com and i think that's our show we're looking forward to a good 2017 i pulled the winner for the 50 dollar gift card so they we had someone who listened to all the shows and they pulled it so they're going to get 50 nice. bucks to spend there thank you all so much for entering and uh, playing along with us there so that was a lot of fun to do happy new year to you all rebecca we'll talk to you next week yeah have a good one Bye.